0: Welcome to the New Providence Presbyterian Church Podcast, where we will share our messages from our weekend worship services. We hope these messages will inspire you and challenge you in your walk with Jesus. We've been considering some questions as we've been going through the Gospel of Mark and the New Testament, questions like, who is Jesus? What is he all about, and why is he significant? And what does that mean for us in the 21st century? Questions like those and others we've been considering as we've been in a couple weeks in this letter, I mean, this writing in the New Testament called the Gospel of Mark. The second of four in the New Testament. You open up your New Testament, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And each of those include the teachings and the life and the ministry of Jesus. My Bible scholars, as best they can tell, believe that Mark was written first. As I've shared in the first sermon a couple weeks ago, as studying and looking at the, the possibility, most likely, that Mark traveled with Peter, the most outspoken, brash, and bold disciple. And Peter's the one who had a bias towards action. And it sure seems like the gospel of Mark has his fingerprints all over it in terms of the stories and how action takes place. I've likened this gospel to the Jersey gospel, that it's fast-paced, it's full of action. The word immediately occurs over 40 times in this gospel, going from one scene to the next. And sometimes within a scene, immediately something happens. There's a bias towards action. And it's looking at Jesus and his impact. And then the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. The inbreaking of the kingdom of God. And so, as we've considered it, we've considered these accounts in the Gospel of Mark like news stories, like there's breaking news. And when you hear those words, we pay attention. And here, the breaking news is not just in the 21st century, but back in the first century, the breaking news of Jesus, the breaking good news of Jesus, broke into people's lives. And Peter, who is an eyewitness, Mark, who then pulled together the teachings and and the moments of of Jesus into this gospel. We're engaging them one story at a time. Sometimes multiple stories in the morning. Today, just one. Just one. But going back to the beginning, the headline of the whole entire breaking news gospel of Mark starts in verse one, where he says, The beginning of the good news of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Right, Right from the beginning, we see Mark sharing this is who Jesus is, this is his identity. He's the Messiah, the Christ, the promised Savior. And he's the Son of God, meaning he's more than a nice guy, more than a carpenter, more than a teacher, more than a prophet. He was the Son of God. And as he came and announced what he was all about in verse 15 in chapter 1, we read that then Jesus said, The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near or is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. This announcement comes from Jesus. The time has come. This God opportune time has come. It's go time, is how we would say it in these days. Because the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. It's intersecting with their lives, sometimes colliding with their lives. And Jesus said, Pay attention. And it calls for a response to repent and believe, to have a change of mind, a change of direction, a change of life, a new sense of trust, trusting in God based on who He is and what He's done. So today, as we think about last week, we considered the amazing news. And we looked at the day, a day in the life of Jesus and a series of encounters that he had. And how he engaged, encountered a man and a woman in quick succession and helped them. This week we pick up the action moving into Mark chapter 2. And the news story, and there's only one today, is how Jesus encounters a paralyzed man. Encounters a paralyzed man. And we're going to go back to the village of Capernaum. The same location where Jesus went to the synagogue where he encountered a man who was gripped by an unclean spirit. We consider that last sermon. He goes back to Capernaum and we're going to see this is the first of five conflicts that Jesus has. We're going to consider one today. There's four more that come right after it. And we see that when the kingdom of God comes, those who need help and healing, it comes with tenderness and compassion. But for others who are resistant to God, sometimes the kingdom of God comes more like a collision than a tender... A tender hug or care. And so, as we look at this today, I invite you into this account. Imagine being there. Consider what you would have thought, what you would have heard, what you would have seen, how you would have responded. Now, if you've been around the church, you've heard probably a sermon or many sermons about this. It's a well known account of four men who bring a friend who is paralyzed on a mat to Jesus. My prayer for you this week, if you've heard sermons on this, or studied this and read this, is that you would see this with fresh eyes. And for others who may even hear this for the first time, that you'll see this encounter with Jesus, this life-transforming encounter with the kingdom of God, and consider what it means for our lives today. So let's dive right into this account. We're going to go a couple of verses of the time. We're going to walk through Mark chapter two, one through 12, looking at this news story of Jesus encountering a paralyzed man. Starting in verse one, we read this: "A few days later. When Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Jesus went back to Capernaum. It's so interesting, it says that he had come home. Capernaum had functioned like a home base for Jesus in his ministry in the Galilean region. And we see that a crowd formed. A crowd that formed that there was so, so many people that there was no room. No one could get in. It's as if, if you went looking for an event today online and the words sold out would be there. You can't get in. There's no more tickets. And there's, back then there was no vivid seats. There was no stub hub. There was no way to buy tickets to get into this Jesus moment. And so here it was sold out. There was no way to get into this event. And what was Jesus doing? It says he was preaching the word. The word, which is the gospel, this announcement of the good news, the word that we read starting in chapter 1, verse 15. The time time has come. The time has come. The kingdom of God is here. It's at hand. Repent and believe. Once again, we don't see Mark recording or sharing the teaching of Jesus here. He's focusing more on the authority of the teacher as opposed to the focus of the teaching. But we know Jesus was preaching the word. Well, then what happens? Restarting and moving, continuing with the action in verse 3. Some men came, bringing him a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get to him, get to Jesus, because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the mat, lowered the, mat the man was lying on. Right here is this, this incredible picture. Again, if you've, I don't know, for me, I've read this story so many times. I remember this is one of the, maybe one of the first sermons I heard. But still it just it blows my mind thinking about this scene. There's a crowd, no one could get in. And here comes four men carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. And they're trying to get in. And they can't because the crowd. It's almost like you see them walking up and like what are we going to do? We can't get in. There's no way. And everyone's crowded around. I can imagine the conversation. What are we going to do? Do we yell fire? No, don't do that, right? Don't do, that's a bad idea. Uh, do we push some people out of the way? I mean, you can almost see these four individuals. We don't know anything about them. We don't have their names, their personalities. I'm sure there are different personality types. There's some who are probably like, let's just shove people out of the way. Others being like, hey, man, let's be diplomatic. Others saying, let's have a prayer meeting. No, I mean, there's probably different ideas that were going on. How are we going to get this guy to Jesus? And then one of them, who's probably the whatever-it-takes guy, said, I got an idea. Let's go up on the roof. Let's take a hole down to Jesus a whatever-it-takes approach to get this guy to Jesus. And so they go up on, and this is what a house would have looked like in that time, um, where you would see typically in the houses in that area, you would have, they would be, the roof would be accessible outside by stairs. And upstairs oftentimes focus and function much like we would have a deck or something outdoors you can, where people would gather and be. And you'd see these homes where there would be beams across, and there would be different thatch and, and things across, and then it would be mud or sometimes manure would be, would, would be the, the focus of the roof. So it's highly significant that when these guys decide to start digging through the roof, again, picture being there. You're inside the room. Here's Jesus. He's teaching. He's preaching the word. And then you start hearing noise. And then dust and dirt starts falling. It might have been manure. It landed on Jesus' hair. It's disgusting, but it's what was happening. They're digging through this roof, whatever it takes to get to Jesus. And our private facility manager, Mike Olson, would kill us if someone right now starts digging through our historic sanctuary roof just to get in here. I mean, it's an incredible picture of what happens. They had a whatever it takes approach to get to Jesus because that was the most direct way. Well, then what happens? Picking up the action in verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. I love that description. Jesus saw their faith. He saw their faith. Here we see, and this is the first mention of faith in the Gospel of Mark, that word. And he saw their faith because he saw it in action. Faith wasn't a set of ideas or a set of feelings. It was a sense of trust that that, that propelled them to action and a belief that Jesus could do something for this man who was paralyzed. No details are given about this man at all. We don't know anything about this paralyzed man. We don't know his name. We don't know where he's from. We don't even know how far they traveled to get here. Um, But we don't know anything about these four men who brought him. But we know this, that they were brash enough, bold enough, and they believed enough that they would do anything they could do to get this man to Jesus, anything, even going through a roof. And what did Jesus do? He said, son, your sins are forgiven. What? This isn't what anyone would have expected perhaps maybe addressing his physical challenge. Maybe, they, maybe some would have expected, especially those who would want this to be a fair situation, those who stood around for perhaps days to get into this house saying, hey, 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 he doesn't get attention. I've been, you know, I, I got these tickets on stuff up. No, I mean, I, I got into here. Like, I, I should be the one. No, nothing said. Jesus said, your son, which is, yes, a, t- a term of endearment, but in Hebrew, it's a, really a term of a superior who acts with authority and benevolence towards another person. Son, he says, your sins are forgiven. Now, the Jewish belief at that time was that there was a direct relationship between someone's uh, tra- a tragedy or a physical disability and someone's sins. Um, now, Jesus refutes that multiple times uh, in other gospels and other writings and other teachings. Uh, but still here, this would have been the working assumption. And we see here that Jesus addresses the deepest need of this man. He says, Your son, your sins are forgiven. The deepest need. And it gets personal, because what's more personal than the list of our sins? And for Jesus to say, Your sins are forgiven, this is Jesus moving towards him. It's personal. And he uses that term son in the process. Notice how Jesus didn't accuse this man, he didn't bring up a list of sins, and he didn't hesitate to respond. He didn't didn't hesitate to respond, especially to the faith of these four guys who brought this man. Picking up the action in verse 6 and 7, there's a little bit of a twist because there's others who are there. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? The action abruptly shifts to the teachers of the law. These religious leaders were the experts in God's law or the Torah. They knew it inside and out. And they were present there. But interesting how Mark describes them. They were sitting there. Those two words just jumped off the page as I was studying this passage in the weeks leading up. They were sitting there. It's not really a wonderful description, just sitting there. It's interesting to me. And then how they refer to Jesus is interesting as well. They say, This fellow. It's a word of contempt. I mean, you know, someone, um, yeah, just this fellow. It's a word of contempt. They were, and then Mark records that they were thinking themselves. Jesus could sense that they were thinking themselves certain things. And they were accusing him of blasphemy, right? meaning that Jesus was misrepresenting who God is because by saying that he could forgive sins, he was equating himself with God. This was a serious, serious offense in their eyes. And they were there. No doubt criticizing Jesus for what he had said. And then immediately we read in verse 8, picking up the action, immediately there's that word used over 40 times in Mark's gospel because something's about to happen. Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. Immediately, there's that word, Jesus, the action moves right away. Jesus knew, he sensed, and he encountered, the encounter with this paralyzed man and his his friends all of a sudden became a point of conflict. And we see this with Jesus. When the kingdom of God comes, it leads to a point of conflict. And the point of conflict is because of Jesus' identity, who he is. Um, And Jesus, I love what he asks. He goes, which is easier? It's one thing to say your sins are forgiven. I mean, you could say anything. Is there, does that really have an impact? And for these teachers of the law, they were just words. I mean, Jesus would have been maybe a good teacher, maybe a prophet, but for him to forgive sins, he couldn't actually make that happen. And so that's one thing to say. They, they could just be empty words. But to say, get up, take your mat, and walk, that's a whole other thing. That is a visible visible outcome, something that can be proved in, with, by what we can see and, and touch and everything, all the other senses that we have. This is obvious proof. So what happens in verse 10 through 12, finishing up the passage and finishing up the action, Jesus says, but I I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. To show and demonstrate that he has authority on earth to forgive sins, Jesus said, get up. Get up, he said. And the man got up. He took his mat and he walked out in full view of them all. Here we again, we see Jesus' authority in action. He speaks and there's immediate uh, immediate impact. And for those present at the time in that culture, with their religious beliefs, they would have equated the healing with the forgiveness of sins. This man was forgiven. And this man was therefore healed of the impacts of his sins. We see here the authority to heal and the authority to forgive are the same authority with Jesus in this case. It's the same authority. And he shows again that he can do what no one else can do. He dealt first and foremost with the soul level need in response to the faith of the four friends, but also to the paralyzed man. Don't lose track of of his faith. When Jesus said get up, we don't know how long this man was paralyzed. We don't know how long he, his hopes of having anything change in his life, or maybe he just gave up, and whatever was happening in his life, he was going to be paralyzed forever. For him to hear the words, get up, and to actually respond and get up, he had great faith as well in response to the word and command of Jesus. And we see how it amazed everyone. There's that word, thambien, I shared last week, which means to strike here it struck a chord it hit home something amazing happened again and the people what did they do they praised god saying we've not seen anything like this the kingdom of god broke in There was breaking news and it broke into this man's life and broke into all of their lives what about us today as we read this account i want us to shift to considering what this means for us how does this account shed light on encounters with jesus today And the question I want us to consider is how can we help or hinder others with having an encounter with him? A key word in this passage today was faith. Bible scholar and Bible commentator James Edwards says this, Faith is first and foremost not knowledge about Jesus, but active trust that Jesus is sufficient for one's deepest and most heartfelt needs. I think that sums up so much of what this passage is all about. And so there's implications for, as we consider this encounter with Jesus. We see the intersection of God's inbreaking kingdom with life stories. So I want us to consider the, uh, through the lens of four different individuals and groups, very briefly, and what that means for us today. Because we see at least four, and there's actually more, in this encounter with Jesus. We see a person in need. We see friends who care. We see a crowd blocking the way. We also see those resistant to a new work of God. Those are just four examples. Let's go with the first one. A person in need. This person in general may seek or need an encounter with Jesus for help. In this case, we think of the paralyzed man. They may focus on the immediate needs like pain, hurt, relational struggles, financial challenges, um, other struggles and needs for help. And in this broken world, uh, as Jay prayed in the prayer of intercession, well said, in this broken world, we're going to face challenges and trouble. And we're going to need help. The desperate needs can lead to raw and honest and desperate prayers reaching out to God. And the invitation is to go to Jesus, to go to Jesus, and to trust and believe that he will address the soul-level needs first. It's interesting. In a broken-down world, we turn to God. We need help. We need help with all kinds of things. And we can pray and go to God, trusting and believing that even as we go to him with those things, that we can trust that God knows best. He's going to address our soul-level needs first. So we need to ask the question and consider, how am I in need and how can I seek an encounter with Jesus? To ask ourselves that and consider our own struggles and seek God's help through an encounter with Jesus. To do that in prayer. Do that in worship services like this. Do that in serving others. Do it in looking for an encounter with Jesus and bringing our needs to him. That's the first lens into this passage. second lens in this passage are friends who care. Friends who care those who help bring others to an encounter with Jesus. If, if we really believe that connecting with Jesus is the most significant thing, then the best way to care for someone is to bring them into contact with Jesus, to help facilitate that encounter with Jesus. As if we knew a great doctor or we knew someone or anything that we want to recommend for someone else, we're going to say, we need to get that person to that place, when, especially if there's a dire situation. If we know someone, an oncologist, or someone who truly treat, we're going to say, we need to get our beloved one to that person. How much more so with Jesus? That's what we see here: friends who care, and we think of the four men who brought this paralyzed man to Jesus. They had a "whatever it takes" mindset to do it. Desperate situations call for "whatever it takes" response. So we need to consider: how am I caring for others, and how can I bring them to Jesus? We can pray and ask God to bring our attention, give bring to our attention those who are struggling, those who need that encounter with Jesus. And we can bring a friend or a group of friends who care and help, them, help bring them to Jesus. Here in our church, how can a friend or a group of friends, how can we be a friend or a group of friends who can help bring people to encounter with Jesus? Whether it's here in a worship service, some other ways that we're serving together, some other capacity with our church, how can we bring a friend or friends to Jesus? That's the second group. it gets a little more tougher as we go along here. The third one is the crowd blocking the way. Um, people who get in the way of an encounter with Jesus. Um, oftentimes, this is unintentional. There's a lot of grace for this crowd. They just want to see Jesus, and they're there, and so it's not here to judge the crowd, but in the end, here comes four men with a man paralyzed, and they have no clue, and we don't see them. All of a sudden, someone who's very sensitive to the moment saying, oh, hey, look, there's, there's, there's a man paralyzed, and there's four guys bringing it. Hey, can we open up the crowd? Like, There's usually someone who's sensitive and, 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 and tuned into the needs around them. We didn't there's no one who did that. They, didn't, they were just so focused on Jesus. Now, again, there's grace because he's preaching the word, and everyone's captivated. And, that's, and that shows that even we could have good, we could have be focused on Jesus and still block the way to Jesus. It's, but others may have had the mindset, I got here first. So tough luck. I mean, others could have said, my needs are more important than his needs. I mean, he may be paralyzed, but you don't know my life story. Here's what I've been through: one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And there, those ten things could be legitimate. We don't know, but I think all of us have to ask the question: How am I blocking the way to Jesus? How am I blocking the way to Jesus? Encounter with Him. So, for us as a church, we have to ask: What about our What about our lives? What about our lives? Are there aspects of our lives that are blocking the way to Jesus for others? Whether in how we live personally or how we're doing together. And even as a church, it could get a little uncomfortable as we think about one way, I I, I sometimes lose sleep at night. I wonder if people come visit our church. And one way that we're blocking an encounter with Jesus is they come and it's a big step of courage to come to church on a Sunday morning to a worship service. And then they come and and they expect friendly people because it's a church and they're Christians and Jesus talked about loving others. And they come and they feel like no one talks to them or cares or notices them. And it sure seems like all these Christians are good with talking to each other, but I'm here all by myself with a cup of coffee downstairs and no one's talking to me. Maybe you've been that person, you've gone to a church and no one talked to you. Um, my prayer is that our church would be a church that has open arms and that when we see someone that we don't know, that we'll leave some of our friends and go talk to them and not get in the way of Jesus, that encounter, because we, they read us more than they'll read the Bible. So how can we not block the way to Jesus. It could be as simple as parking. It could be If you're physically able to say, hey, can we park somewhere else besides our lot? Because there's people that are going to come in about five minutes. Some who have worked up the courage, clicked in online, and said, I want to give this church a try. And they're going to show up. And if they don't have a place to park, they're going to go home. And we'll never know if we block the way to Jesus. And again, just like that crowd, it's not that we're sitting there saying, I'm going to park in that spot so, I can, so no one else can come in. No one's thinking that. But we may be doing that. And that's what keeps me up at night, wondering, because we don't get that feedback. We get a lot of other feedback. We don't get feedback if someone comes, doesn't find a spot, goes home, and never comes to our church. They just never connect here. So how are we blocking, possibly blocking the way to Jesus? So I encourage you that if you can, physically able, to park in the bank where I park over there. Or perhaps park on on Springfield Avenue or park back in the lot and create some space so we don't block the way to encounter with Jesus. That's the third group. The fourth group is those who are resistant to a new work of God. The temperature keeps increasing, by the way, on these. This one is a little more uncomfortable. And thinking about the teachers of the law, those two haunting words, they were sitting there. They were sitting there, thinking to themselves. Um, They were resistant to a new work of God that was being done through Jesus. They were just sitting there criticizing. They were engaged in a theological debate based on the traditions of the elders in the past. And they, they didn't even care about this paralyzed man. Now, it's easy to point a finger at them and others. But we all need to consider, how am I resistant to a new work of God? We can ask God to examine our hearts and humbly consider how we've been critical of others. Maybe sitting there and not helping out, but being critical or getting in theological debates and trying to get the right ideas, but just hurting people all around us. its um, I know for me this is very convicting to read this, saying, "Am my eyes open to those who are struggling around me? Consider those four lenses of this account as you think about your life, and an encounter with Jesus, trying to get to Jesus, helping others to Jesus, maybe blocking away the way to Jesus, or resistant to Jesus. There's a lot in this passage that we can read over and over and over. But don't lose sight of Jesus himself. He was there. He was there. And I wish I could have seen the look on his face when that roof was starting to be carved out. Just his look on his face. And I wonder what he was thinking. Now, this is not in Scripture. As I was praying about this, I was just wondering. I was wondering if he looked up and thought, these guys are doing whatever it takes to get to me. I wonder if Jesus then thought, hmm, I understand who they are. Because as the son of God, he did whatever it would take to get to us. And he came down to be with us. He did a lot more than dig his way through a roof to come to be with us. The heavens were rent open and the son of God took on human flesh and he came to be with us. And before these four men brought the paralyzed man to find Jesus, little did they know that God was already looking for them. And he had already come for them. Do you see the two streams that come together here? Meeting in this house in Capernaum at that time. The son of God who left the comforts of heaven, left the throne to come down to be with us. To love us. To be with us. Here these men come through the roof. And together there's this intersection of the inbreaking kingdom of God with a man who needed help. This paralyzed man. And Jesus said, son your sins are forgiven. His deepest soul level need to know he's been forgiven by God, loved and accepted, and even proclaimed and declared a child of God. Son, your sins are forgiven. And then Jesus said, get up, take your mat and walk. Get up is the same word that's used to describe the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so here it is. He says, get up, get up. Here's a new life. A new life in me, in Christ. You are forgiven. You are a child of God. Get up. And it points ultimately to all of us. Everyone who puts their faith in Christ. We could hear those words. Son, your sins are forgiven. Daughter, your sins are forgiven. You are loved, accepted because of me. I came to be with you even before you came looking for me. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the breaking good news of Jesus Christ. And we see that also in this passage. And so we want to do whatever it takes To clear the way for all of us, if we're hurting, to have that encounter with Jesus. If we're a friend who cares about others, to help them have that encounter with Jesus. And to be honest and humble and ask for conviction if we're part of a crowd that's getting in the way of that encounter with Jesus. Or if we're resistant to a new work of God that's found in Jesus. May God shape us and reshape us and give us new words. May we repent and believe in light of this good news of Jesus. As you consider those four lenses in this passage, as we go from this day into this week, into the months and even years ahead. As you think about this sermon, I want you to remember one thing, and it's this. What is that one thing? Jesus meets our soul-level needs. Jesus meets our soul-level needs when we turn to him in faith for ourselves and others. Remember that. And one thing to do is identify how you can seek encounters with Jesus and open up ways for others to encounter Him in light of this passage, Mark 2, 1 through 12. And then commit to specific steps in light of what you identify in these areas. Uh, May that reshape us, whether we're looking for help, can help others, find a help or get get out of the way so others can have that encounter as we move forward. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for the gift of this passage and what you did in this moment. Thank you for Jesus the Son of God who came to be with us, who did so much more than dig a hole through a roof. Lord, he overcame everything to come to be with us, to walk this earth, to live the life we couldn't live, the perfect life, to die a death we deserved on the cross and resurrected from from the dead. He got up and he walked out of that tomb. And Lord, he calls us to get up and in his name, because our sins are forgiven, to walk in new life. So I pray, Lord, that we would, as a church, be a church that has these encounters with Jesus. That we would help others have these encounters with Jesus. Because, Jesus, you alone can provide help and healing and restoration in all that we need. Lord, you know our ultimate needs. You know our soul level needs. And so we come to you. And may we also bring others to you. And may we also get out of the way at points so others can have that encounter with you. Help us, Lord. Have mercy on us. Give us your grace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen, amen.